Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick, speaking with another defenseman in the National Hockey League, Justin Hall for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He was a 54th overall draft pick originally in 2010 before he went on to four years with the University of Minnesota as a Golden Gopher. He is now the veteran of 81 uh, National Hockey League games. He played in the, uh, the NHL's return to play, the playoff bubble. We talk a little bit about that today. And I have a lot of respect for... Halsey's process. We were teammates as Toronto Marlies. We missed each other as Maple Leafs, but he's someone that I have rooted for from afar, uh, given some of the adversity that's knocked on his door as an athlete. Uh, and really, he's a, he's a person and a story that you can rally around because his success trajectory has not been this straight shot that we oftentimes uh, sh- shoot for ourselves, really, as individuals. Uh, but I hope that in the process of talking together with with him today, that he has a greater appreciation for how far he's come. And I know he'll leave us both with quite a few nuggets uh, on how to learn from the process and, and how to, how do I want to say this? Stay in the fight when success is just around the corner, even though it feels far away. Thank you for joining us today. Let's do this. Hey guys, it's producer Colin here. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us, We've created a membership program that brings access to more exclusive content and AMAs to help you become a more curious competitor. At the end of the episode, I will explain more about what those benefits are. Or if you want to find out more information about it now, please visit patreon.com forward slash the curious competitor. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. All right, Halsey. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast, man. Let's jam. How you feeling? Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm feeling great. Uh, as I told you earlier, I've been anxiously awaiting my appearance all day. So <laughs> just I in a Zen can, uh, meditation, exactly. ready to go. There's exactly. no pressure. I hope I can deliver. Nothing. Uh, nothing. Well, I, I was pretty excited. I guess uh, you know I try to have a lot of hockey guys on. Certain guys are more open to it than others, and and guys are private. I get it. Uh, but I just think your story, when I look back on, you know, you're, you're drafted pretty high, 54th overall in 2010. You know, you're in the running for Mr. Hockey. You're playing uh, forward and defense at, you know, as a gopher at the University of Minnesota. Help me understand your development as a younger player into, let's maybe take it all the way through the Mr. Hockey running. Who were some of your most influential coaches and Really, why were you able to have the success at a young age? Was it just inherent love for the game? Did you take it super seriously? I'd love to take you through that. Um, Let's jam. So as a youth hockey player, I was a good player. Was never like the best player, you know. Uh, And it's obviously different at that level because there's so many guys that mature uh, at different speeds. So um, some of the guys that matured early were the best Pee Wee players or Bantam players. And I was always a good player, but I was never the best. Um, but then when I got into high school, um, started to receive a little bit of interest. I grew a little bit. I, I think I was like five, uh, probably like five, nine, my sophomore year. And then I ended up six, three, my junior year of high school. So, and then I could still move. So it ended up being a good thing. I switched to defense. I played kind of forward defense throughout my, um, upbringing, um, so anyways, then I was in the running for Mr. Hockey with a couple of my buddies, Buger, um, Max Gardner, who's Jake Gardner's younger brother, um, which was fun. And my whole mentality growing up, I never, um, 
thought about really the NHL or anything like that. Um, when I was growing up, our heroes were the high school players. So like, I was just like, I want to play for Minnetonka high school. We loved it. And started to receive a little interest, um, college wise, my junior year and it heated up really quick. And I was like, Oh my God, like I'm going to play college, which was awesome. Cause that's like the dream. And so then at that point, things just start progressing and progressing. And then I'm like, Oh my God, I'm gonna get drafted. So as you said, I get drafted and then you're like, okay, I want to play in the NHL, but still when you're in college, it feels far away. You know, because you see a lot of great college players who don't make it for whatever reason. They um, spend a lot of time in the minors or they have a couple of good years and fizzle out or, you know, so you never know what the deal is going to be. And then, um, as you mentioned, I had kind of a up and down college career, um, played pretty consistently my freshman and sophomore years. And then we got Brady Shea, Mikey Riley, and a couple other guys um, in as freshmen. Stocks, yeah my junior year and so then I kind of got squeezed out of the decor started playing forward which was fun like I love forward <laughs> it's awesome you have no responsibility you know like you can do whatever you want out there and it doesn't whatever matter whatever you want forwards have no idea like exactly like, you think a forward misses an hour of sleep any night like no never you no know, this is a d-man you're like sitting up at night you're like man we're playing uh McKinnon tomorrow. Like I really, I'm going to have to take care of this guy and, and, totally. you know, or, or Goudreau who likes to blow the, blow the zone. Like as a forward, you're just, you know, go out there. Out there. You don't score. No one expected it. Like maybe you got a playing, back check, but I, I was playing right wing and I just chill in the D zone. Like I got my guy sitting at the point so, and then I was flying around the ice. All I had to do was skate really fast. And I actually love back checking because you just wheel around the net and like pick I up I love back checking. It's awesome. And then you're able to like catch guys and blow them up on the back check. So it's like, I don't know. It was fun, but uh, I played like third and fourth line. So it wasn't like I was like a major key to scoring or anything like that. But um, anyways, then I, my senior year went back to defense. I felt like I had a good year, but it's tough in college because if you're not on the peeper, you're not really going to score a ton of points. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not scoring a ton of points, you're not going to generate huge interest. You know what I mean? So I ended up signing with Rockford, who is Chicago's affiliate. And I played pretty much the entire year in Indy in the coast, um, which honestly was a ton of fun. But at the same time, I'm thinking, I'm like, well, you know, this is awesome, but could be my last year playing hockey. Like I love hockey, but yeah. I'm not going to do this forever. You know what I mean? And I ended up signing with Toronto, the Marlies in the summer and came in there, had a really good American league camp. And I remember I had a meeting with, um, Dubas and Sheldon Keefe, who were the guys there at the time. And they were like, yeah, you played great. You look awesome. Uh, not only did you make the team, but you're going to play on Saturday. Like you're in the lineup, which I don't think I really understood at the time, like how big of a deal that was. Cause usually a lot of guys are on NHL deals. They play in the American league. If you're on American league deal, you play in the East coast league. So that's kind of how it works. Um, but anyways, kind of got my foot in the door that way. And we ended up having a really good team that was easy to play on where, um, I ended up being plus a ton scoring a decent amount of points. I think I had 21 points in like 60 games. So, um, had a good year that way and signed an NHL deal the next year and kind of just went from there. So let's, let's bookmark that. I want to touch on all those points because I think the amount of time that you were able to spend in the minors, particularly from a tough spot playing forward and D, uh, sometimes I feel all of a sudden you end up 
you know, with multiple positions and people, scouts, coaches, managers don't exactly know how to use a player, you know, so sometimes that versatility can really kill a career. But so like going back to high school, do you have, and, and of course we all try to own our story. It, it makes us, you know, who we are. I wouldn't trade any aspect of, of my story. Cause I, you know, frankly enjoy uh, the journey and, and where I'm at, but from a purely hockey perspective, do you think going to a school as competitive as the Gophers was for defense ice time, that that was the best decision? Uh, in hindsight, probably not. I mean, yeah. when I was getting recruited, uh, Colorado College was my first offer. And um, then Princeton was my next offer. And Minnesota was my third offer. And by the time Minnesota offered, it was over because like you grow up in Minnesota, you want to be a gopher, you yeah. know? Yeah. And uh, so that was just kind of the deal. But in hindsight, I think maybe if I went to Princeton and I ran the power play and I was top dog or something like that, maybe I would have generated more interest um, going to the pro ranks. Um, but I can tell you that I had an unbelievable time at Minnesota and um, even though I might not have been the top dog there, I still played a ton and I still yeah. had a great time and we had great teams. So, uh, like you said, in terms of owning your story, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, but you do bring up a good point because maybe it would have been different if I would have gone somewhere else where I would have been the, you know, the top dog, as I said. So I don't know. Yeah. Cause I went through it where I was committed to Michigan and I was so fed up, you know, I was at the U.S. development team and we had a loaded decor with, we had Brady Shea, uh, to use yeah. that name again. Uh, we had Matt Grizzlick, myself, uh, Seth Jones, Jacob Truba, like we were, we were juiced. And then I was going to go to Michigan and they had, uh, John Merrill, who originally I thought was going to be a one and done, you know, type player and go off to New Jersey. He was a high pick. Right. He got injured and then he had some suspension issues. So all of a sudden it's his junior year and he's still you know, crunching up 33 minutes, you know, on the left side. And then Truba, yep. you know, had just committed there. And, and I just decided, I'm like, you know, in hindsight, I maybe could have looked at another school. Uh, you know, like I think Wisconsin would have been a good fit at the time. Notre Dame, maybe they had a couple right shots, but the same thing where like, I saw what that limited opportunity did for me at the U S team. And I was like, I just, I can't do that again. I can't right. take that risk. I, I don't, you don't shy away from competition, but that's one of the pieces of advice. Whenever I talk to younger players is like, well, I think you want to put yourself in a, you want to put yourself in a position to succeed too, obviously, and yes. do it in a smart way. And obviously you did that too, because I remember when Shazy was like a freshman or sophomore, I think we were watching you play in the NHL. And he's like, man, I played with this guy at NTDP. Like, this is crazy. So obviously you made the right choice. Well, I think, I think that, one of the reasons I thought it would be particularly fun to talk was I think both of our careers, you know, have had some unreal ups and downs. Like when I look back, same thing where I came out of the U S development team, I was a fifth round pick and I was kind of pissed about it. Like I, you know, was watching on draft day. I'm like, I think I'm better than that guy. I think I'm better than that guy. Not all of them. There's some stud players, but you know, I wanted to prove my worth and I wasn't happy with, you know, where I showed and uh, fast forward, I go to Plymouth for the whalers and the OHL and, we had a lot of ice time and, and we had no right shot D man, you know, so I kind of was able to fill a role and we had a good power play, which I was on, you know, scoring a bunch of points. And then all of a sudden that next summer I had this big playoff run. I remember a gentleman named Steve Richmond. I've told this story before on the podcast. It's pretty cool. He was in uh, player development for the capitals 
And he pulls me aside at development camp and is like, hey, you know, I just based off your playoff last year and based off like what we're seeing, like, Connor, you got to start to wrap your head around it. Like you, you're going to, you're going to play in the NHL. And I like, mm-hmm. I got the chills. I was all fired up. I was in like this hotel yeah. lobby and uh, he's like, no, I mean like soon <laughs> you could play this year. And so I went home from development camp with my head in the clouds. Like this guy thinks I'm going to play in the national hockey league this year. Like I thought he was still full of it. I didn't even have a contract yet. Right. And I mean, you know, similar where it was my dream to play in the NHL. You never say no, but looking back, I was 19 in the league. You know, I really wasn't doing what I did. I wasn't playing on a power play. We had Mike Green and John Carlson on the right side and Ovechkin and were in one time. was like, there was no room on the the power play. And then I was like, you know, penalty killing, but kind of on the second unit on the backside, you know, where most units are ran off that left side. And like looking back, similar where the NHL was almost like my gophers where I was too, I was too thrilled to say no. Like there was no conversation around no, I think I'm going to wait. Yeah, there's no um, way. But it just, uh, in terms of long-term development, maybe not the best thing uh, when I look back. And, and you know, there were other players that I tried to think of, you know, even like off our world junior team, you know, at that age, uh, similar players. And I, because I, I got a younger brother kind of going through the college selection process right now. And I'm trying to help him understand if you want to play in the national hockey, like there needs to be an ice time opportunity. You know, Shane Goss spirit goes to union and and does really well. Um, you know, uh, Jacob Slavin goes to CC and, you know, good team, good program, but you know, was able to play more and and do really well down at the time too. Yeah. They were, you know, um, yeah, but yeah, I think CC still is. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of good things that came out of uh, going to Minnesota and having to struggle a little bit um, in the sense that I went in there in high school. I was a power play guy, um, a lot of points, you know, all that stuff. And I think it's a similar story for a lot of good players is that at some point you got to be something different than what you started as. You know what I mean? Like if you're a forward and you're a skill guy, um, who are you going to displace on the top six of any NHL team? You know, yeah. you look at the top six every of any, every NHL team and they're unbelievable players. So you got to find a way to get your foot in the door. And for me, um, going to Minnesota and having to struggle and work on my defensive game, uh, play forward, kind of go through that whole deal. Uh, it made me a more complete player. And uh, by my senior year, I was playing um, shutdown role with Brady Shea. And so I feel like that kind of prepared me in some ways this year when I got the opportunity uh, to play shutdown role. Um, I felt like I was more prepared and I felt like my game was suited for that as opposed to having yeah. to scramble and, and totally reinvent myself, I guess. So take me through some of those years in the minors because I know, like I had a roommate in uh, Hershey, uh, Eric Bergdorf, I think he had thrown down, I think it was like five years in the East Coast League until he really got his first AHL shot and did, you know, did really well and eventually got, you know, NHL games. And I, I was always so, he was a great guy. I just had so much respect for him plugging away. You know, frankly, mm-hmm. you, you spend so much time trying to maximize the surface area of your luck, trying to stay in the fight. Uh, what were those years in the minors like, and particularly what as a Toronto Marley uh, really you feel prepared you for, you know, cause you had some 
trying seasons as a Maple Leaf coming up in very different ways. You know, uh, mm -hmm. one, you know, uh, where you were out of the lineup quite a bit, you know, and then eventually, you know, the next year you're able to break into the top four. Like, what were you able to really learn about maybe two sides, particularly the game, and then maybe more so on the personality side, like about yourself, that you were able to bring to those next two seasons? Yeah. So I think um, kind of as I touched on earlier when I was in the coast and I was like, well, it could be my last year playing hockey. I don't know. Um, then my first year in the American League, I started off and I'm playing really well and getting a really good chance, playing a ton, uh, putting up good numbers, um, playing with a lot of guys who are going to end up playing in the NHL, you being one of them, obviously, during playoffs. Um, but we had like Willie Nylander, Cappy, uh, Himes, uh TJ Brennan, Mark Arcabello, guys that had played in the NHL and a lot of really good young players. And I think just kind of looking around and all these guys are getting call-ups throughout the year. And like you had touched on earlier as well with the draft, as you see guys getting called up and you're like, well, I think I'm better than him, you know, or like, I think I've been playing better. So at that point, it's kind of like the belief starts to grow within you. You're like, of course I can play in the NHL, you know, like if these guys can play in the NHL, then yes, I can too. So I think that was the main thing I learned, and I learned it pretty quickly, um, even though it took another couple of years in the American League to really get an initial shot, and then even after getting an initial shot, it takes another year or so um, to get more of a sustained look. Yeah, that was a lesson my dad taught me. I remember when I was first going through, similar to you, where the college recruiting process, you know, there was really no recruiting going on, and then all at once, once I had my first offer, my first college discussion, I think it was with Dartmouth, first official offer was with Denver. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was really playing well and had, you know, a, a good chunk of opportunities, but there was a time there before I was getting my call up, my opportunity. And my dad, you know, it's kind of pointing the finger. I'm like, you know, who's this guy, you know, out of Michigan, this D man from Chicago. Like, I think I'm as good as this guy. And I was, you know, kind of jealous, irate, you know, I wasn't mm -hmm. happy that they were getting looks and I wasn't. My dad just kind of sat me down. I was like, Hey, listen, if you're looking at the guys getting offers, like, being blown away, then you're in trouble. <laughs> when yeah, you're looking yeah. across the table and you're like, wow, that guy is so much better than <laughs> me. So I hope good. I get, then you know, you're really far away. But when you're starting to get envious or a little bit of jealousy, not that those are good traits, but he's like, it's a sign that you're starting yeah. to get close. And well, I got to say also like a competitor's mindset. Sorry to interrupt. It is. No, 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 it is. And you know, one of the things that I loved so much about the Marlies was I just loved the it was like hockey school. And you always struck me as a guy that loved hockey. And if you loved hockey, it was a fun place to play. Totally. There was constant learning, whether it was, you know, Mike Ellis or Daryl Belfry or Barb Underhill running skating and skills before to, you know, the way our team played, we, we played a fun style. We played a, a high IQ style, you know, something yeah. that I think was good for defensemen, the way we like to play and be involved. And, um, what, X's and O's wise during your Marley's run, let, let's say during your last year when I was no longer there, um, what really changed in your game to earn that sustained look in the national? Um, that's a good question. I think that uh, for me, every time I play a game is just another learning opportunity. So you get more comfortable you learn what you do well that can translate to you having success. You learn from your mistakes, which of course there are a ton. Um, and you learn the general style of play that you need to be executing. So 
it's tough because a lot of a lot of people want to put you in a box. They want to be this guy's an offensive defenseman. This guy's a defensive defenseman. This guy is a fourth line winger. This guy, you know. So for me, when I was playing with the Marlies, I thought, you know, why can't I do it all? Why can't I join the rush and still get back? Why can't I play responsible defensively but still chip in from the point and do stuff like that? And I think my final year with the Marlies, I really did that. I didn't play a lot of power play. I think I led the team in points as a defenseman or led the defensive core in points without playing power play or anything like that. Felt like I was playing shut down defensively um, with Martin Marinson. So at that point, I'm like, I, could, I think I can do it all. But at the same time, it's a little bit different in the NHL as much as you don't want to admit it because every choice that you make in the NHL to jump in or to do something there's such a high possibility of it going bad, you know? So like, really especially is. when you're playing against really good players, you could make the most innocent decision where you think, okay, I'm just going to creep in here and give myself an opportunity to get a pass. And then that pass gets deflected off a stick and then it's a two on one the other way. And it's in the back of the net before you can even think. So that's the tough balance I think is staying true to your game and doing what makes you good. Well, at the same time, being responsible. So I think that's probably a big reason why people want to put you in a box because they want you to just be focused on one thing, but I don't think it's that simple. And I'm still trying to find the answer, you know. I don't have all the no, answers no at all. So I think every every game's a learning experience as to how you can be yourself but not hurt the team or help the team. Yeah, I, I think, don't think not hurt would I be the right specifically- mindset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what, though? Sometimes sometimes you got to play a good old-fashioned survival hockey type game yeah, and, yeah. you know, just get through the first five minutes, whatever. But it's something that even at, at our position, I feel like, is it's controversial. It, there's a huge difference, I find, in, in between coaches on what they expect and want from their defensemen. Uh, year in, year out, coach to coach, everyone kind of has their... Totally goal on how they want to play. Whereas I similar to trash on the forwards again, I feel like for the most part, they kind of leave these guys alone and, and let them, you know, play in their hockey sense and things like that. But it's a big difference. You know, when, you know, I remember even playing for, uh, for Mike Babcock, he was huge on, it's a little thing, but the low to high, like shoot it immediately. Yep. You know, like I kind of like to handle it and sift it. I like the tip mm-hmm. shot. It was something that, you know, uh, when I was a Marley, it was something I really liked to use a lot more and, Totally. You know, for whatever reason, you're just, you gotta, you gotta be able to, it's a delicate balance. Like how can you maintain your identity and what works for you personally? while also like make, well, also gaining the coach's trust yeah. and being put in a position to play or, you know, do things like that. So yeah, I think it's a tough balance for sure. And it's so hard to, it's, <laughs> it's almost like there was that phrase uh, you'd listen to growing up when you listen to like Nick Lidstrom, you know, people talk about Nick Lidstrom. Well, he always, he always picks the right spots to join the rush. He picks the right spots. And then all of a sudden I'm in the NHL. I'm like, you know how many times I felt like it was the right spot. And then the puck for whatever reason got turned over and a guy was taken off for a breakaway. And totally like, you got to legitimately, you have to legitimately cheat for defense. Like a Leo yep. Komarov, uh, you know, given Kadri a bunch of crap, but like you literally do, you have to cheat for, defense and bet that bad things are going to go wrong. Like it, it's totally. such a sneaky, crafty league that way. Well, hockey is such, such a subjective game too that way. And I suppose every sport is, but you know, you jump in the play and you get the puck and you 
score, you get an assist, it's a great play. You jump in the play and the puck gets deflected off someone's twig or off someone's skate or does something insane. It's a terrible play, you know? So it's just like the result dictates whether it was the right decision or not. And sometimes you can't control it, but that's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's a continuous learning experience. Well, I feel like you have a good relationship with that. Like, I feel like you're one of the guys and, and we've, we've, I've been on both sides. There's guys that have fun at the rink and do view it as a process and a learning experience every day. Uh, and then there are pros that sometimes get caught up in the result and they can start to squeeze and really take the game and themselves too seriously. How do you manage that balance like at the rink and personally at home? Are there things that you do? Are there hobbies you'll engage in outside the rink? You know, to stay fresh, is it just your beginner's mind attitude? What is it? Yeah, and I think we all do that. You know, like it's it's hard not to because it's such a results-oriented business. So if you're not getting it done out there, the the reality of the situation is that you won't be out there for long. So I think that's why we get yeah. caught up in it. Um, but I think for me, it's mostly just my personal mindset is if I do what I do well. And if I control what I can, I think most games I'm going to play well, you know, there's going to be games in there where you just don't have it, where everything goes wrong and you're minus four and all this stuff, you know, and that happens and it never feels good. It actually feels terrible, (laughs) you know, but, um, it feels it's the worst, but at the same time, I think just remembering that if you keep your same approach, most games are going to turn out in your favor. And, um, that's kind of been my mindset and I try when I'm away from the rink to do other things and enjoy other parts of life. Um, but again, it's really easier said than done because like I said, when you have a, when you have a game where just everything blows up, it's not, it's not fun. It's never fun. Well, that resiliency just takes practice. And for me, I know I had to hit a low point. You know, there were points in uh, Toronto there in particular where I was playing poorly and just the weight of the world felt like it was on my shoulders. And, uh, I just decided to stop being so fucking miserable all the time. Frankly, mm-hmm. I was like, listen, I know you played bad, but like, you don't have to take it out on everybody. Like you don't have right. to come home and you know, food doesn't have to taste as bad and you can, you can have permission to sleep. Okay. Like you're going to be okay. You don't have to punish yourself, uh, yeah. all the way up until the next game. And I don't know. Reading was a big one for me. You know, we joke about, guys on the plane reading adversity reads and things like that. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of went down a hole there. Or, uh, I know you're a big fan too of even like war stories and military books. Like I found that that helps oh, me. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I, I it's hard agree, to feel actually. bad about being dash three when you're reading a, you know, a story about, you know, guys trudging through Vietnam or world war two. And yeah, it helps keep it in perspective a little bit, I think. And, you know, you have this cushy life where, really in, in the grand scheme of things, nothing is a big deal. You know, it's not a big deal to go dash three. It's not a big deal to lose a game. A big deal is dying, you know, like that's the big deal. And that's really the only thing to me, you know, or like your health or your loved one's health, you know? So I think, um, when you try to keep it in perspective that way, I think it helps a lot. And for me, I, I, that's something that I didn't mention, but I think that that is a very good point is reading is definitely, um, big for me and not even in for, uh, keeping it in perspective, but just kind of just diving into a different world where you can yeah. just lose yourself in a book and just kind of be a part of that world for a little bit. Yeah. That, and that's what, 
you know, because I, I played with you a bit and I, I did notice that. I'm like, man, this guy reads a lot. You'd be crushing on the, on the <laughs> plane, on the bus, whatever. And I was like, I, I identified as a reader, but you were really elevator rides, anything you get your hands on. And, and I was just <laughs> always impressed with that. And I, I thought it lent itself well. Like I was curious because I do feel that you are one of these guys in hockey who takes the game seriously, but not yourself too serious. And I think that's a nice blend. You know, you're playing a lot. You're on the road a lot. You're getting hit a lot. Um, you're low on sleep, whatever. Like you have to have a level of humor to your personality to carry you through and energize, I think, day in, day out. Right. Well, I appreciate it, but I will say that I don't think that I'm a noble reader. I'm a, I'm a reader of things that I enjoy and maybe not like uh, things that would, because a lot of guys like read books. I think you might be a type that would read a book of like how you better yourself or things like that, you know? Whereas I'm a reader of just like stories that I th think are really like entertaining, you know? So I, I don't know well, if I've, I'm like I've a, transferred. Have you? I, yeah. Cause I, I just found that, uh, you know, some of the, like the self-improvement books are great and things like that, but I feel that the indirect stories, you know, someone mm -hmm. just discussing their stories and you got to like carve out the lessons on your own. That's half totally. the fun. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I also felt like, okay, if I'm trying to lighten up, because, you know, I'm taking life yeah, yeah, too seriously, you, you know, coming you home and don't reading want to be type doing A, that. like go hard. Yeah. Got to dial it back. For sure. So when I think, I hope, uh, I remember watching in 2018, 2019, the season where, you know, you, it was a tough year. You were in, you know, in the stands a lot. I've been there. How oh, yeah. did you, how were you able to maintain a level of professionalism that best served your higher goals during that period? And how did it prepare you for this past season? Because what I feel, I hope you're proud of is, you know, I remember trying to check in on you a couple of times, uh, even during that period. I'm not saying, you know, my career was all roses at that time anyway, but I was just curious how you were doing. And uh, I hope you're proud of yourself because, you know, you seemed every time we talked that you were in good spirit, and more importantly, you're able to stick through it and, and not self-sabotage, not fail your process so that when your opportunity did come around this year, you know, your game was no good. Like you were able to kind of take care of your room at home and um, move on. Right. Well, first off, I want to say I appreciate you checking in. I know that we we're kind of going through similar things in some ways, like not really like uh, I wasn't playing as much as you were, but I we were kind of we we're both um, I don't know find our way is what you might call it. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, um, it was a frustrating year, obviously, because you're working so hard and you feel like your life is just kind of going nowhere, you know, like, um, so it's tough for me. I felt okay about hockey because I felt like I still had the confidence, like, if I get a real chance, I know I can do it. You know, like I see all these other guys doing it. I know what I have to do to succeed. Um, as we talked about earlier, not every game is going to go my way, but if I get 20 games, I think I can play well in 18 of them. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was kind of my mindset. I didn't really get the opportunity all year, but like I said, I felt like I was kind of spinning my wheels. So what I did is I tried to um, transfer that energy into different parts of my life. Uh, I tried to really dive into playing the piano more, which I've done over the years, but I haven't I really, that. I haven't, um, 
put the energy in that I should have. But last year I played the piano all the time because I'm like, I don't feel like I'm improving in the hockey aspect. So let's just let's do something productive, you know. So I would play the piano a lot um, and I would also work out like a fiend. So like every time that we got scratched, we'd work out. And every time that we had an off day, I'd go work out. And it was actually kind of nice in a way because as hockey players, we get beat down for nine months a year and then you get three months to try to get stronger, which is really not even getting stronger. That's just trying to get back to the spot that you once were, you know? Yeah. And especially as a guy who's never been naturally strong, like I got to work out for, I don't know, 15 months in a row pretty much, which I've like never done. So I was like, I could make this like a good thing for me. And I think I did get stronger. You might not be able to tell, but, uh, I don't know. For me, it was more like just trying to make sure I was progressing in some form in my life. I think, I think it did help because the speedo shot, that's your profile picture on Instagram (laughs) is pretty breathtaking. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. That's something I wish I did. Like when I, think back to particularly when I was younger, some of my low points in my career. And I, I've started it with the podcast and with reading and, you know, I cook more than I used to. What else am I up to? I don't know. I got all sorts of hobbies now, but when I was younger totally. and the game wasn't going well, what I would do is I would just put on games around the league and just spin myself up with spite all night. I'd just be sitting there yeah. and, and look at this guy, get this opportunity. I want his job and just, you know, be going totally. to bed all full of piss and vinegar and, Man, it was, totally. it was hard, but, and that's something that I've tried to help with. You know, I got two younger brothers that play, uh, I, you know, I try to make myself available to mentor, you know, younger players in the game and to give them permission. Like you don't have to feel guilty for being a little bit more well-rounded. Like I'm not telling mm-hmm. you, you got to go and become a chess grandmaster or, you know, black belt, uh, jujitsu artist, but do something, whether it's piano yeah. Uh, whether it's cooking, whether in nutrition, like have something else as a source of momentum. Cause momentum is a funny thing and people don't understand that. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up where you felt like your life was going nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really hard to explain to someone who might be outside of pro sport, but when, when it's groundhog day, you're showing up the rank, your name's not on the lineup card, you're getting bag skated you're going through a workout and you're just waiting. You're just waiting for the club to make a decision on you. You're just waiting for them to move somebody to take your job. You're just waiting for them to send you down. It's like purgatory. And oh, yeah. you really do have, it's lonely because there's not a lot of guys involved in that bag skate. Mm-hmm. Um, and also no one really cares about your problems. Everyone's got their problems. None. Like whether it's trying to score 30 goals or whether you're trying to, be a top pair guy versus a bottom pair guy or whatever. So everyone's got the thing that they're worrying about. No one wants to hear about you complaining about what you're going through. No. So, and, and in know. theory, right? Like part of that paycheck is to deal with the bad. Like they're not, yeah. they're, they're, they're paying you to, you know, of course, you know, be a top four demon or score 30 goals, but they're also telling you to stick with it on the year that you have 12 because yeah. we're going to need you come playoff time or we might need you after an injury. Yeah. And that's the definition of trying to do your best every day. Um, right. When you were training, like what were some of the, what was some of your self-talk during that time, you know, to try and fuel you? Like were there, I don't know, phrases you would use or people that you would try to channel during that time? I was just trying to have a nice beach body as I could. Big no, pump. I'm just kidding. I, just um, straight beta alanine and 50 sets of 50 <laughs> yeah. bicep curl. Exactly. 
but no, I, I think mostly it was, as I said, just trying to improve myself in some aspect of my life. And I think too, uh, that feeling wasn't like a choice that I made. That was just an actual feeling that I had. And I think part of it is all of a sudden, like everyone says that time flies and life's short, but like I wake up and I'm 28 years old. Like I don't feel 28. I feel like I'm 18 still, you know, yeah. and life does go fast. So if you've wasted, which I felt like I did in some ways, like, um, got into Fortnite like heavily, like three years ago or four years ago, whenever it was like huge. And I played a ton of it, had a lot of fun, but I'm like, I just spent so much time. I spent like a year of my life playing this thing, you know, like, I'm like, am I kidding? So, and then like, as you get older, you're like, I'm old. Yeah. I mean, 25, it's a, it's a weird world where 25 is the cutoff. Like if you're under 25, you're young. If you're older, mm-hmm. 25, you're old. And I, I remember oh, yeah. I could, I couldn't cut you off fast enough with the Fortnite Cause I remember so like Tyler Bozak was really into Fortnite, uh, Marner and that Roman, uh, Roman Polak would throw a oh, fit. Yeah. He'd be like, I don't get it. He goes, I don't get it. You guys like be a dad. You guys have kids at home. Like put the video game down, be a dad. <laughs> it was I so funny it. to just hear his like alpha male energy and, and how he just couldn't believe that these guys, you know, were able to get away with you know, yeah. each your own. I get it, but no, it is true. If like, if, if that gives you joy and stuff like that, that's totally great. And I t- truly mean that. It's just when I look back on it, I'm like, when you're young, you think that you got nothing but time and that you're, you're kind of living just like a hedonist lifestyle where you're like, I love playing hockey. And then I go home and I play vids and I do whatever I want. And, um, I don't know. Like I said, you wake up and you feel old and you're like, God, I wish I would have spent that time doing something productive. So that's what I try to do. I'm not always perfect. You know, when we were in the bubble, I was playing okay. a ton of COD, but then we How were was in the bubble, that? you know, how so, was that the, the bubble experience, the playoff experience? Um, the bubble was actually really fun. We were only there for a short period of time, obviously. So that could have been a factor. I, I would imagine, um, the guys that went all the way were probably pretty tired of it at the end. Yeah. Um, probably felt a little bit better when you have the Stanley cup, but I think that, um, the NHL did a really good job considering the circumstances. And, um, for us, it was just like, you know, if someone told you that all you had to do is play hockey and hang out with your boys and play video games, would you ever complain about that? You know, like no. you put in perspective that way and you'd be like, well, it's fine. You know, <laughs> you know, one of the things I thought was cool, I was talking to uh, Chandler Stevenson, you know, who was with Vegas, one of my close friends. And, and he had mentioned, I said, what was the hockey particularly like? He's like, you know, the hockey was great. Like it was intense. He said it was a little weird when you'd score and no one would kind of, you know, celebrate. Totally. Uh, but he goes, he goes, I couldn't believe for a playoff because he, I mean, he's won a Stanley Cup with Washington and, you know, he's been through you know, some pretty cool playoff moments. And he just said, what was crazy to me was the lack of momentum, good or bad. Yeah. And what I learned, what I banked in my head was like, oh, so the momentum, the noise, the 20,000 people going bananas in the stands, like that's all a mirage. Mm -hmm. You know, and I wish I, I wish I had had the playing experience, but that was something I'm going to try and, you know, hopefully be able to steal and remember come, you know, you turn a puck over at the United Center or whatever and, you know, da, 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 yeah. you know, there's, there's no, 25,000 people singing the song. Like, 
well, it's just noise. You still might get the opportunity to do it this year. I mean, I hope we have fans, but who knows what happens. But I definitely agree with that. And it was funny because our first exhibition game within the bubble, we played Montreal. And as you would expect, it felt like a scrimmage. Um, super laid back, it felt like, you know. And then afterwards, I was on Instagram and I watched the highlights and I'm like these look like NHL highlights. Like this looks normal. Didn't I don't want to show like up it. on these. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I don't want to show up on these in a negative fashion. Uh, I certainly do want to show up in a positive fashion. So uh, that was kind of like, wow, this is real. So then when we we're playing Columbus, um, I think that the hockey was very intense and everyone kind of understood that even though you're not getting the momentum, like this still means a ton. But as you said, like, the crowd is a factor because really you, you turn the puck over and all of a sudden everyone goes, Oh, you know, like people get excited and yeah. people feed on like players feed on that, whether you know it or not, because it's like uh positive momentum. The definition of momentum is what I'm about to say, but like it begets more positive momentum and negative momentum goes the same way. Yep. So, um, in a lot of ways, it was like you turn a puck over and no one says anything like the fa- there's no word from the fans and you just move on. And I feel like it was easier to move on in some ways uh, because of the lack of fans. And if you did something good and nobody says anything, it's easy to move on from that, too. <laughs> you know, and not in a great way because you want to so remember true. that stuff. But you're just like it was definitely a different experience. But as I said, I think like given the circumstances, it was a very good result. And the hockey looked really good. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought the hockey was sick. Um, yeah. Players played hard and it was tight checking. The coaches, I thought, did a great job. Like the different injuries guys were playing through. I was impressed. I was impressed. Yeah. But no, it was for real. So how are you trying to use last year and the, the, the bubble experience? Like what are you, what's your mindset heading into? I mean, gosh, we hope there's a January training camp, right? Like mm-hmm. that's you know, what the whisperings are out there. And, and I don't know, even as players, we still don't totally know, but what is your mindset around training and skating uh, and getting ready for a season with a, you know, an arbitrary date? Yeah. I think um, for me personally, I like to be in shape just to be in shape. Like I don't like taking time off because I feel like I just get weak and then I just have to get strong again, you know? So and I have so many hours in the day. Like if I can't set aside two hours to work out, like, shame on me you know if the day's over and i'm like i couldn't find two hours to do this you suck you know <laughs> like uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so like that's kind of my mindset is i just want to be in shape all the time no matter what uh in terms of skating i did take uh, a lot of time or relatively a lot of time off after we lost it took a month or a month and a half off but i think that that is uh, for me maybe beneficial not to be doing the same repetitive motion for 12 months a year, you know, and I like to cross train. I like to play a lot of tennis. So I've been playing a ton of tennis, uh, a ton of platform tennis, biking, doing a lot of different stuff that way, um, along with the normal strength training. So I don't know. I feel like I'm ready to go whenever. Yeah. The, um, I think there's a lot of beauty in that. Just having like a general preparedness, you know, for physical activity, just like being a good athlete, being strong, being in shape. And, you know, when you got to play, you're 10 days away from unzipping your bag and, and being ready to rock, you know, as long as totally. you've still got that strong, healthy base. Totally. And hockey's I always obviously feel the different. Same. 
Yeah, and hockey's obviously different because it's a different motion and like you have to skate. There's no doubt about that. Um, and in terms of like timing, you have to get into games and, and start getting your timing back. But like you said, generally, like you're going to be in pretty good shape. And I also think like one of so the, the bubble I felt was one area where I tried to study this. And then I remember back to the World Cup when we had that World Cup in Toronto. I was able to go to a couple of the games. You try to hack it every year. You try to think back. Okay, how can I have the, a fast start? Because I mean, you and I both know in terms of lineup decisions, how important those those first 20 games are to yeah, build trust with your coach. Like it's huge. And so, you know, I yeah. try to reverse engineer every year. Like, okay, how can I have a good training camp? And, you know, hopefully they're after a, a good 20 games because of it. And when I think, I remember the World Cup, it was, you know, Team Canada, you know, Brent Burns, Brad Marchand, uh, Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby, you know, the U.S. team was loaded. And like these guys, they had had a multi-week training camp prior to playing. I remember because mm -hmm. the NHL put together that, you know, they had a, a space and they were still missing passes. Now, yeah. three or four games into the tournament, they look like all-stars again. But they the first two games, bit. I was at some of those games. I'm like, man, these guys, they don't look like, I know how good they are. You know, yeah. they don't look like themselves yet. Right. And so for me, it was one of those things like, okay, how can I try to replicate the best I can on ice game situation, not skill drills, yeah. not where there's obstacles on the ice, whatever, but legitimate gameplay five on five where right. the nets are where they usually are. <laughs> yeah. So I can try to, and it's hard because it's, it's hard to get that many guys to buy into trying to play that hard in the summer, but I, I would you can get a competitive impossible. group. It's impossible. I think it's impossible because no matter what guys aren't going to be back checking like they usually do. They're not going to be for checking like they usually do. They're not just, they're basically, it's not real hockey, no matter what. Like, even if you try to make it real hockey, I don't think there's anything like games. So I think maybe preseason is important, uh, not even to play well, but just to remember what it's like to play hockey. You know, it's always a yep. shock in preseason when you get hit for the first time. It like is. Like some guy comes on weird. the floor check and he just buries you and you're like, fuck. <laughs> you're like, Take I, his head off on the way I, up the ice. Yeah, yeah the, exactly. The you're like, God, I forgot that this game hurts sometimes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Mine's always uh, like the first block shot. You'll take it oh, off the toe yeah. cap or something. You're like, yeah. And you man, just want to go home. Man, am like, I tough for doing this last all year. All the way home. <laughs> all the way home. Like, yeah. Like all the way back to mini. I just want to go home. Yeah. Mom, make my bed up. Get the NASCAR, <laughs> yeah. get the, get the race car bed ready. I'm coming home. <laughs> no, seriously. Comfort me, please. Yeah. Game's tough. I always, I always look around the locker room, even after 10 games, you know, cause now at this point you've gone through a training camp you know, three and a half week training camp, no, no walk in the park and 10 games where you're playing, I don't know, every third night with some travel. Yeah. And you're looking around the locker room and you're like, we got 70 to go boys. 72 yeah, no, to go. I know. It's, it always feels daunting at first, but then all of a sudden, I don't know, the schedule moves so fast that the games just keep getting chewed up. It's um, amazing the way we get used to it. And yeah. I really think about that often. Another thing that I forget about is how hard it is to sleep after games. Like every time after our first game of the season and you just sit there and you're tossing and turning and you're like, there's just absolutely no chance I'm going to bed. And you're like, God, I took for granted how well I slept like this summer where every night I was in bed at like 930, so tired, you know, like getting 10 hours. I've been yeah. championing that on the, on the podcast. One of the things I try and help understand either for like parents of players or young players themselves is like, 
everybody's seen, you know, the Mitch Marner beats commercial before the game where he's walking up and it's like, you know, he's got the pump up tunes on or, you know, the LeBron commercial where he's, you know, tuning out everybody, whatever, right? We've all seen those headphone commercials. I'm like, no one preaches the post-game routine where yeah, you get out of true. this like diesel-like mentality yeah. you know, where all you want to do is uh, make plays and take someone's head off. And it's like, we need to make it cool to try and get some sleep that night. We need to like totally. teach kids <laughs> that the next game starts when the last one ends. And the first step of that process is like, okay, take some deep breaths because, yeah. hey, remember that time, you know, where... Uh, you wanted to take your coach's head off during the second period for pulling you off the power play. Like if you're going to think about that all night, you're not going to sleep well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? no, for sure. Well, I, I think I, I want to ask you now, just thinking of it, do you have any strategies that you use to sleep after games? Cause I just, I can't figure it out. <clears throat> so the one I found a couple that I really like, one of them is no matter what time we get in, I'll try to maintain the same routine. Sometimes I'll negotiate with that, but for the most part, it looks like I'll get in, I'll unpack my stuff for the next day, whatever we have for the meeting. Like if we got to wear a suit down in the morning, I'll hang my suit up, uh, you know, take it off, hang it up nicely. Uh, I'll try to avoid any sense of hurry, right? Cause I've done it. You've done it where you're yeah. trying to like hurry to bed and then you're like, okay, I'm totally. here and now I'm still in a rush and I can't fall asleep. I always do that. When you're doing the math in your head, you're like, oh, if I fall asleep right now, I may get six hours or, you know, exactly. Exactly. And then sometimes you'll turn over and you'll like add another 10 minutes to your alarm clock because you just realize you didn't fall asleep. You're like, okay, if I still need yeah. six hours, I need to add 10 more. And then you're, so what I'll do is I'll get in, I'll hang my stuff up, kind of like a sense of like peace and quiet for a moment. Uh, a lot of times brush my teeth, I'll take a shower. And then usually I'll do either, I have like a Headspace app on my phone. I'll do like, they have these uh, fall sleep meditations that I really like. Mm-hmm. Or I'll do, I think it's like a sleep apnea app. It's uh, like box breathing. So it'll be like a four second in, a four second hold, a four second exhale and a four second hold. So you're like making a box with your breath mm-hmm. and you're supposed to like make it longer. So you're supposed to like inhale for 10. That way you're, you know, holding and exhaling for even longer. Yeah. And I find that that really helps. And then maybe I'm a psycho for this, but maybe psycho is not the right word, but maybe I'm a little, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll bookmark what the right word is. But what I'll do subjective is I'll, term. Yeah. Yeah. Psychosubjective. But I'll, uh, I'll get back up. Like if I didn't fall asleep in the first 10 minutes, I will literally go take another shower, brush my teeth again, like do another headspace or, or breath work. And then yeah. I, like, because what I find is if I've been, if I've been awake in bed for our, uh, 20 minutes, it might as well be two hours. Like I'll totally. blink twice and then boom, there it is. Um, yeah. so that's probably my big one. And then honestly, for me, I just started to swear off the, the pregame. I'm a huge coffee guy. Everyone knows I don't shut up about it on Instagram, but like mm-hmm. I've, I won't do the pregame coffee anymore. I yeah. just, I can't do the four thirty, five fifteen PM coffee where my resting heart rate post game is like a buck 20. That's not healthy. Yeah, no, I don't know if that's the key, but you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. That's it. Magnesium. I'll do the, uh, magnesium. I think it's glycinate is the yeah. one I'll, I'll use pretty high numbers of that. That helps. Mm-hmm. I'll take like melatonin sometimes. And like, usually I fall asleep really fast when I read, but obviously after games it's different. I'll read about 
15 chapters and be like, wow, well, I learned a lot, but <laughs> I'm still here. It's also 5.30 p.m. Uh, yeah, yeah. a.m. and we have a meeting in three hours. Totally. We had a game. We had a game. We had a weekend in the minors, I remember, where we had played in Hartford. I was playing for the Hershey Bears at the time. We were playing in Hartford on Friday night. Seven o'clock game. Uh, we got back at like, I don't know, what was it? Two or three in the morning on, this is Saturday morning now. Wake up, play the game at home. We had won the first two and we bus overnight. And I remember there's this huge snowstorm as we were uh, busting to Bridgeport. Always We enjoyable. get into the, ho- always a classic on the Upper East, uh, Northeast uh, corner of the country. And then uh, we get in at like 5.30 a.m. And it was a two o'clock game the next day. And I hadn't slept a week <laughs> yeah. on the bus. <laughs> a nice Sunday afternoon game. <laughs> and, what a treat. And, uh, and our coach, our coach, it was pretty classic, actually. It was Troy Mann. And then uh, Ryan Murphy was our coach, who's actually with us in New Jersey now as a skills coach and consultant. So it's pretty crazy, you know, how guys come back in your world. And like Troy Mann walked in. He's like, guys, uh, just do something tonight. Like do anything, <laughs> like whatever you got, just, we, we're, Hey, we've, we've won two on the weekend, get greedy, win a third, hit somebody, fight somebody, make a pass, do something, keep the shift short, have some fun. And we went out there. We actually rolled. We won all three and played stellar, but yeah, no, I, that's just minor league hockey for you. I know it all too well. We had a couple games in, uh, Indy that were intense like that, like back end of a three and three in Kalamazoo, Michigan afternoon game. Like no one slept at all. You had pregame at like Denny's or something. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember one, this is like an actual game in Kalamazoo and you know, for most games, like guys are going to try to be inspirational or something. Our captain just gets up, walks out of the room. He's like, let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, so I know you have an appreciation for this, and I know you agree because you talked about how fun Indy was, and you know even Toronto in the American League. What is it about the American League and the minors in general that hockey is so fun? And how can we translate that to the NHL? I'm not saying the NHL isn't fun. I'm just saying in the NHL, maybe it's the age of player, maybe it's how big the cities are. Guys have families and maybe it's because the schedule isn't as consistent, right? So you don't have those weekdays maybe to, to hang out. But like one of the things I miss in the minors, you know, uh, like a team Chipotle trip after practice, all the guys right. would go and, you know, or, or like a Tuesday movie night and like 10 guys would show up. Like that was a blast. Yeah. Well, and I've tried touched- to think of like, how can I bring that to the bigs? Yeah. And I think you touched on a lot of the reasons in terms of older guys, families, you know, like guys just can't drop everything and hang out after a game. They just can't because you got kids, you got responsibilities yeah. and everything like that. Guys live outside the city, you know, like it's just not going to happen. Um, but like for sure, like when we were in Indy, it was all young guys. It was an expansion franchise, pretty much all rookies to pro hockey. And they all put us, or they put us all in the same apartment complex. So it was like living in a dorm, but it's like with right, all your buddies. Yeah. So it's like, it was so fun, but that's obviously not, uh, you, you're just not going to do that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think that for me, the NHL is more fun in a different way. Like you might not be getting those same Chipotle trips or like the same dorm lifestyle or anything like that, or, you know, college atmosphere almost. But what you are getting is a deep sense of satisfaction when you play well or help the team win a big game or, um, 
do anything that the city is proud of or anything like that. So I think that's, that's the point. fun part for me is um, being able to make a bigger impact on a bigger scale. So you might not be able to, and obviously the lows are lower than too, because of the, you know, everything's so, magnified. So true. Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe playing the minors is an easier, more stress-free lifestyle in that way, but you don't get the same sense of satisfaction. And I think that's a, that's a, good that's a little parallel with a lot of things in life. You know, if you're doing cushy stuff that's easy and stress-free, that's great. But for me, that doesn't really, you know, the, the really satisfying things in life are the big risks you take or the, the things that could go terribly wrong that um, you still trust yourself and go do it, you know? So I think that that's the, that's the fun stuff, the really fun stuff. Like I always loved as a D-man getting an opportunity when, you know, you, you've, you, didn't get the chance to play against top players in the league. And then you get a, you do get an opportunity because you've earned it, you know, through successful play over the course of, you know, five, 10, 20 games, whatever. But it's, it's a cool challenge when you're trying to figure out how to play against different players and different strengths. And that's what I think is really particularly unique about the NHL is like the strengths of different players is particularly more wide ranging and, and, mm-hmm. and more extreme, right? Like there's quick guys in the American league. And they're, they're really easy to even faster players on your third and fourth lines in the National Hockey League. But then all of a sudden you get into the top six and you've got, okay, you're playing against a passer like Nick Backstrom. If your stick's out of position for a second, yeah, he'll he's going to land it flat on the backside. If, if yeah. you're going to get an opportunity to play against Nate McKinnon, like, you know, yeah, there's a lot of guys that can skate in the league, but he's just got a giddy up. But he's a five-tool player, you know, like he, he can skate, he can stick handle, he can wire the puck, he can... You can do whatever you want. He could pass, you know, and there's a lot of guys like that, obviously. So, yeah, that's uh, I remember uh, must have been December, I think. And um, our D coach had come up to me. We we're about to play Colorado and he just came up to me before the game. He's like, yeah, uh, you and Muzz got McKinnon's line tonight. And so this is after I had played, I don't know, like 20 games this year and maybe like that would be like. 30 career games and the first thought that I had was just terrified I was like this is just like shot through me but then really weird right afterwards just as quickly it was like an overwhelming sense of positivity like this is amazing you know like this is a massive opportunity and all I have to do basically is not get scored on and we ended up not getting scored on that night and there's been plenty of nights where we did get scored on a lot and had bad nights but you know that was um shocking how has um who is the D coach now with the Leafs? Who was Hextall. it last year? How was that? I never played for him. How we'll keep great, it all yeah. positive, of course. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I, I'm well. I mean, this just isn't a controversy podcast. But like, I was just legitimately curious because you know I, we both had Sheldon in the American League, um, and was curious if he was still trying to coach, you know, similarly in the National Hockey League. I feel like it was just from playing you guys. I felt like. You know, a lot yeah. of the tendencies and characteristics he's trying to bring in. But every league's got their, you know, its idiosyncrasies and, you know, different nooks and crannies that you're trying to solve. And I don't know. Right. I guess it was just... Uh, I think it is a similar a similar style. It's just, you know, if you're doing something, it could be just like a small aspect of your game. But let's say you get... It's become a theme where it's just not working right. Then obviously you're going to change it. So it's like as things happen, different wrinkles are going to be added to your game plan. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, I don't know. I think, you know, 
his strategy is probably always evolving just like ours is. In theory, right? Like yeah. uh, these coaches, they do spend a lot of time. And that's something I've even tried to do as a player where a lot of the coaches I've spoken to, you know, some of the ones that I have that I know on like a personal basis, it is impressive what they're able to learn just from the sheer amount of hours that they watch the game. So mm. like, why can't I watch my own game or players similar to me as often as they're watching general hockey uh, mm. and be able to steal some of, you know, I think that's something very common in football, right? So like in hockey, we all train, we all skate, we all have skating coaches, we all have skills coaches. Well, like, so does football, but uh, the video that they do on themselves and their opponent, I think is something at an individual level we haven't brought over to hockey. So I'm curious to see if more guys uh, start to look at that and it costs nothing, right? Like a, yeah, if you skate, it's, right. you know, it's hard to skate all day. Like you're going to get tired at some point video in theory, like you can be yeah. going through the mental reps and learning, but it's not taxing, you know? Totally. Um, totally. And I think that kind of applies to everything too. Like you could watch a hockey game and basically be watching video, even if it's not yourself, you see things that other guys are doing and you're like, that looks pretty cool. I should who try are, that. Who are some of your favorite players to watch? That's actually a good question. I don't know if I can really point to anyone in particular, but just watching like a general game and maybe seeing something that any defenseman does, trying to think of a specific example that I would have. Yeah, I don't know. But Sparksy and I used to watch a lot of, we used to call it watching game film because we used to live together when I was in the American League my first year. And we would just watch NHL highlights and watch these like sick goals that these guys were, or like sick plays that you guys were making and just like, I think I could do that. Like, let's try to do that sometime, you know? Sparky uh, was watching game film. It just wasn't for when he had to play goalie tomorrow. It was for when he had to play forward in the summer. It was for Lemonheads. Lemonheads. (laughs) He seriously was. He, uh, we're going to get Garrett Sparks on the podcast at some point. This is the first he'll hear this. So we'll have to send him, uh, our episode, but he got me to recruit me the one year. He got me these, uh, I think they were like warrior Lemonhead blue and yellow hockey clubs with Eric Carlson's team Sweden spec stick <laughs> with the blue and yellow. And it had the Trey Kronar, yeah. like the crowns on it, man, it was sick. If, if the rink wasn't like an hour and a half from my house, I would love, and the games weren't at 1130 at night. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I love to play Sparky, but I'm just not getting all the way up to the North side of Chicago at that hour. Uh, but uh, he's the most interesting man in the world. He's got to be up there. He's got to be up there. I'll, we'll have to carve out the whole night though. Yeah. No, um, for sure. Cause we can throw it down. All right, Halsey, yeah. this was a, uh, this was a blast, man. And I, th- I know it'll be really uh, helpful for a lot of our listeners. So thanks you know, for your time today. And where can people find you uh, if they want to continue to follow out, follow along on your career? Are you active on, I know Instagram, are you on Twitter too or no? Not really. Uh, I have a Twitter. They're both, both Instagram and Twitter are at 12 J hall. Um, I'm a little bit more active on Instagram, not super active. But anyways, well, you play, you play in Toronto, man. You can only be so, you can only be so active. I'm just kidding. Exactly. Media. Exactly. No, <laughs> I'm trying to be the international man of mystery. It's true. But no, it's, I uh, play the long game. Yeah. No, I appreciate you having me. Um, no I hope we solve some of the world's problems today. Or at least some of the defenseman's and, uh, problems. Can't say. We <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if we solved them, but we definitely uh, put some, uh, put the spotlight on them. Maybe helped him understand how hard it is, but. Yeah, exactly. Right, a little pity party for us. All right. Well, thanks appreciate a lot. I appreciate love, it. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks for coming on. That wraps up our podcast today. Thanks to uh, Justin Hall Halsey for your time and really for sharing your story. I know it's not always easy as a hockey player. We're taught, you know, from a young age to be 
you know, a little bit more private and, and toe the company line and just stay in line with the team. And those are beautiful things, but, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned from sharing our stories with, you know, like, uh, fellow players like ourselves. And then also with the next generation. And there's three, I guess, talking points I really wanted to pull out of our conversation today. And that is Halsey made mention when he was having a tough time finding ice time as a gopher with the university of Minnesota. And he discussed this concept that adversity is coming for you as an athlete. It's coming for you at some point, whether you're top first overall pick or just, you know, a top tier uh, division one player, there's going to be someone gunning for your ice time. At some point, there's going to be a player that your coach uh, temporarily, or, you know, maybe even more permanently thinks is better than you. And how you handle this adversity gives you an opportunity to maximize the surface area of your luck. And that's a phrase I've leaned on as a crutch a couple of times, but really what you're just trying to do is work hard so you can stay in the fight and not get eliminated from the game completely, not get cut completely, not get traded away completely. So that when a player uh, goes down, heaven forbid, or, or, or when a coach uh, is searching for answers, not finding them with the players that they normally are, you will be there ready. And so second, I want to talk about this concept of momentum. Halsey does a great job uh, in 2018, 2019, where he was really struggling to find a consistent rhythm in the lineup and really a sense of purpose that talked about how he felt like his life was going nowhere, which is, which is maybe hard to empathize with or hard to understand. But every day is Groundhog Day at that point in the NHL. I've, I've been there where you're not adding anything to the team. Uh, you're really just trying to claw uh, back in the lineup any which way you can. And really, let's call it what it is. There's not a whole ton you can do uh, in practice and things like that to really change a coach's opinion. You can do everything to make sure you're ready uh, for when you do get your next opportunity. But I love how Halsey takes momentum into his own hands. When he There were some things out of his control, but his work ethic, his ability to train outside the rink, that was in his control. His ability to gain a sense of self-worth and, and, and growth uh, through playing the piano, that was in his control. And I thought that that was beautifully put uh, by him when he shared that story. And the final point I want to bring out today is I really appreciate how Halsey loved and embraced challenge. And I, it came up late in the in the podcast where he talked about the, you know, when he had the opportunity to have to play against Nate McKinnon and he really got nervous. Nate McKinnon, you know, is a five-tool guy. He's an ability to skate and score uh, with a hockey puck in the National Hockey League at a clip that'll make any, you know, D-man nervous. It, it really is uh, a tall task. But I, when you consider the question, there really is only upside available. And Halsey talks about this because a coach is calling on a player or telling a player that they have this match in particular because they know it's difficult. And if he is able to have success, there's really only upside. Because these players are great players for a reason. They have success against other great players every single night. So it's not necessarily that that is failure, uh, but you want to maybe limit the success that they have. Like you may not be able to force them into their uh, world's worst game, you know, their season's worst game. But, you know, one of the things that I always try to keep in mind when I'm playing defense in the National Hockey League is, let's say it's Patrick Kane or Nate McKinnon, they might have... 40 nights a year where they're really hot and they've really got it, but it's not going to be tonight. And so this concept of loving the challenge and, and to really focus on the upside uh, when called upon, I think was something that, you know, really has served Halsey well in his hockey career and it will continue to. And for all of our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. 
I look forward to doing it again next week. Please continue to like, uh, subscribe, and share our podcast. Five stars is more than four. If you give us four, I will do my very best to delete your comment and uh, find you on Instagram and throw some stones your way. I'm just kidding. Um, but seriously, please share with friends and family. It goes a long way in helping us grow our, our reach as a podcast. I'm trying to come for the top 10 here someday. Uh, so, and we're well on our way. So thank you uh, for joining us each and every week on, on joining really me and, and our audience on becoming more cur- curious competitors. So uh, this was really enjoyable and I look forward to doing it together again next week. Thank you. Hey guys, it's producer Colin. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to let you guys know about a new way you can support the Curious Competitor podcast. We are super proud to have launched a Patreon with access to additional content, exclusive AMAs, and loyalty merchandise. If you could spare the cost of a latte a month, it would go a long way in supporting the expenses involved with the podcast, as well as supporting the people that make it happen. If you do not currently have the means to do so, please don't feel the need to donate. We will be providing this podcast continuously and hope you can find value in these conversations. If you're interested in supporting, visit patreon.com forward slash the curious competitor or check out the link in the show notes. Any support of the podcast is greatly appreciated. And as always, we look forward to seeing you next week.